Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Persist podcast. I want to first start by saying that this is an incredibly special interview for me. Anna Bailey was featured recently in an Oprah Daily article as the first Black showgirl in Las Vegas. She is a social justice trailblazer who spent her career dancing at storied venues such as the Apollo in New York and the Moulin Rouge in Las Vegas, the first integrated hotel casino in the United States. She was one of the first African-American women to hold a gaming license as she and her late husband opened and managed clubs in Las Vegas. She is also my uncle's mom and has been a tremendous influence in my life since I was a child. Growing up, hearing her stories of working with Sammy Davis Jr., Pearl Bailey, Martin Luther King Jr., dancing professionally into her 40s in Las Vegas amidst a backdrop of enormous prejudice and racial segregation was transformative to say the least. At 95 years old, Anna Bailey is a living legend, especially in Las Vegas. She and her late husband, Dr. William H. Bob Bailey, were honored recently with a plaque in Legacy Park in the historic west side of Las Vegas. They're also featured on a mural in downtown Las Vegas, many oral history projects, news articles, and media clips. Additionally, Bob Bailey has a middle school named after him in Las Vegas. Anna, it is such an honor to be here with you today. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure for me, too. Thank you. I'm very excited. I'm very excited, too. The Persist Women's Political Engagement Conference at UC Riverside and the Persist podcast highlight and recognize the fact that political engagement is much broader than just running for office or working for an elected official. Your work in entertainment and your advocacy paved a way for social justice, desegregation, and the pursuit of racial equity in Las Vegas. You're an amazing example of using your life and your work to make a difference. Please tell us a bit about yourself, your childhood, and how you got into dancing as a profession. Well, when I was around three or four years old, my mother put me in dancing school, but I plunked, I dropped out. So she, she, it was determined for me to be a dancer. So she put me in Mary Bruce Dancing School on 125th Street and 8th Avenue where I had to stay there all day Saturday. So when the Apollo girls went on strike, um, the dancing school went in there in their place. And that was my first time at the Apollo Theater. Wow. Mm. I'm curious to hear more about what it was like dancing in New York at the Apollo and on Broadway um, in the 1940s, right? What was that like? And, and especially for black people, what was the climate like? Oh, it was, it was just exciting. Uh, when you go out there and you see the lights at the Apollo Theater, you can see everybody sitting in the audience. Most theaters are dark, but this one, the lights are always up. And if they don't like you, um, uh, they'll let you know right away. They'll boo you and, 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 and everything. But I enjoyed um, uh, working at the Apollo. I enjoyed um, dancing. I, I love the spotlight. And then to, to be with all the stars, um, like Pearl Bailey, that really even encouraged us way back then that if you want to stay in Sherman's, you should go to Las Vegas. Uh -huh. So that was, a, um, you know, that was very, and then I worked with Sammy Davis and, and, you know, my kids will tell you that Sammy Davis would be over to the house, you know, like every other week. That's amazing. You know? Yes. And because I always had a pot on the stove. So we had a lot of um, good memories, but, you know, uh, dancing in, in New York is very exciting. I worked at the Paramount Theater uh -huh. in, in, um, in, in New York and the Paramount Theater in Brooklyn. Wow. Both of them. 
And um, so I was just really blessed because I think I was always on time and always gave it all, all my all when I went out there. I really worked out. There was never any problems with me. So a lot of times I didn't even have to do an audition because I really kind of, they knew me. Mm -hmm. And, um, and yeah. it was just a pleasure uh, working at the Apollo. The dress rooms were not that <laughs> good, but um, if you're um, a star, you're on the first floor. If you're just a, a comedian or a medium, you're, you're on the second, and maybe we were up on the third floor. Mm -hmm. But just coming down those stairs with just a, um, just so many wonderful memories. And you dance in Europe too, right? Oh yes, I worked at the Palladium, wow. and I worked there for six months. And um, you think uh, the Radio City Music Hall is large. It took us two choruses to get into the middle of the stage. Two choruses is like eight steps to get into the middle of the stage. Wow. And that's the only place was at the Palladium where I was stage struck every night. Just, just stage fright, just scared to death because it was so huge. Yeah. And as far as you can look up, it's, it's rows and rows of seats. But um, that was a wonderful experience for me. And um, I fell in love with London. Yes. And every time I could get a chance to cruise something, the first stop has to be London. I agree. Mm -hmm. It's a fabulous city. Yeah. And what an experience. Yes. I had a, uh, People would stop us in the street because we could tell by the way we walk, the way we dress. And um, and I love the friendliness of, of the English people. Yeah. To invite you for tea, or invite you into their homes. And we're strangers. Mm -hmm. That was one of the... Uh, that was a glorious six months of my life. That is fantastic. Mm -hmm. And in the early 1960s, you became the first Black woman to work as a dancer on the Las Vegas Strip. I'm curious to hear more about this, uh, how that happened, and what it means to you today. Well, it's just that um, um, one time I, I was just, I was working so that I just wanted to stop. And, um, and then I decided to go back, and all I had to do was call the Flamingo Hotel. And I didn't even have to, to do an audition. And they brought me into a show uh, from Istanbul. They couldn't even speak English, you know, but I think I, I fit in with them, you know, mm -hmm. and um, that was a good show. And I noticed that we did, um, we, we did a, a 12 o'clock show and a two o'clock show. And um, it was very, very difficult but it was fun, it was fun. And you came here to dance at the Moulin Rouge. Yes. Right? Tell us about that. Well, I, Bob and I was in Buffalo, New York and Pearl Bailey have already told us uh, that's where we need to be. When we got the call that uh, Clarence Roberts had told us that, we're, that we were booked into the Moulin Rouge. So we were really excited. Yeah. Um, they flew us out. And um, we had no idea that it was on the west side mm -hmm. because um, when uh, when we passed by all the lights on the strip, we just sort of looked at each other, but when we saw the Moulin Rouge, it was beautiful. We had the best lighting, the best dress rooms with showers in it. And, um, you know, uh, you know, maids that, that, and ballets that took care of us and made sure our costumes were always cleaned every mm -hmm. night. And it was a wonderful experience. And and, and standing room every single night. The line would go all the way outside and around the block, people trying to get in, did that 2.30 show. But I, I always felt like, um, I think that the owners was, was ran out of uh, Vegas a little bit because um, the, the, I think what was happening on the strip, we were taking all the, all the business from the strip at two o'clock. 
Mm-hmm. And um, and then it gave us a lot of problems when we tried to, when the show girls would invite us out there. Oh, I can't think of this girl's name now. Um, she was a big star. Oh, I can't think of her name right now. But um, um, when when we came back, it, 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 they would tell us right away that we just can't mix like that. Yeah. You know? And that was really a hurdy blow for me because uh, show people are very liberal and, and just a happy group, but they, they, what they admire the most is your talent and, um, and all that other stuff, you know, because when we travel and, and buses and trains and airplanes, I mean, we all help each other with our luggage and it's like family. Yeah. And when the show closed in like say three months or six months and everybody goes their separate ways, it's a little sad, but when you're on tour, it's a glorious time. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And just, just to set the context for people out there listening, the Moulin Rouge opened in the 1960s. 1955. 19, oh, that's right. 1955. Yes. And it was the first integrated hotel. Oh, it was a beautiful hotel. It really was. The stage was huge. And um, and it, just, it was just a beautiful. And the management, I, I could never understand why there isn't any videos of it because the Follies Bergier was open at the same time and they were doing the can-can yeah. and we were doing the can-can, but we blew them away because yeah. we were flying over each other's backs. Wow. And splitting and jumping up and um, uh, and people would come to see that can-can. That's amazing. And I just don't understand. Um, they would always take pictures from the wings. Mm-hmm. So whenever you see the picture, because we were on the Life magazine, mm-hmm. but it, the picture was taken from the wings. Wow. And I don't know why it, it never was taken from the front. Uh, I was blessed to be in the front row center. And Norma, one of the girls I said, the still, she was right next to me. Wow. You know, and um, we, we held that spot too. This is incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, I drove down on the historic west side of town yes. in Las Vegas today, and I saw your picture up on a on a mural downtown yes uh you and the dancers from that time period I know it. What, what is it like for you to see this oh well it's just beautiful and our costumes were just gorgeous our costumes were like 350 400 a piece just beautiful and the girls were very attractive too all all different shades from ebony to pale mm-hmm. you know and we just um, had a good time and we just it, it had a, a wonderful time. I like to go and, and, and see that mural. I haven't seen it once. And I- Oh, to, I, I will take I like to, Yeah, please, please. I'd love to go back and see it. And I'd love to go to Legacy Park too. Absolutely, we will take you there. Okay. As I was doing some reading about the history of the Moulin Rouge mm-hmm. in Las Vegas, I was struck by this passage on the Wikipedia page. It says, Front of the house, black workers, dancers, dealers, and waiters failed to get hired at other casinos after the Moulin Rouge closed in October 1955. Segregation continued as part of normal Las Vegas operations. In mm-hmm. one incident in the late 1950s, ex Moulin Rouge dancer Anna Bailey was part of a group of black women who went to the Sands to watch Frank Sinatra perform. After being stopped by security and denied entry, Sinatra himself escorted them into the lounge and seated them at his private table. The short but vibrant life of the Moulin Rouge helped the civil rights movement in Las Vegas. Many of those who enjoyed and were employed by the hotel became activists and supporters. The hotel was also the spark needed to bring an end to segregation on the Strip. Yes. Bob Bailey? 
a former MC mm -hmm. at the Moulin Rouge and his wife, Anna, a dancer in the show, became friends with local civil rights leaders, including Dr. Charles West and mm -hmm. James McMillan, the first black doctor and dentist in yes. Las Vegas, respectively. In 1960, under threat of a protest march down the Las Vegas Strip against racial discrimination by Las Vegas casinos, a meeting was hurriedly arranged by then Governor Grant Sawyer between hotel owners, city and state officials, local black leaders and Dr. McMillan, then served as president of the local NAACP. Mm -hmm. The meeting was held on March 26 at the closed Moulin Rouge. This resulted in an agreement to desegregate all strip casinos. Hank Greenspun, who yes, is- I was hoping you would mention his name. Yeah, Hank Greenspun, who would become the publisher of the Las Vegas Sun mediated the agreement. So Anna, I'd love to uh, hear- Yes, uh, uh, mind if I say, um, yeah. Las Vegas Review Journal was the name of it. Okay. And and, uh, and then the inserts was the, the, he put in the Sun, I believe. Yeah, thank you for that correction. Okay. Um, I'd love to hear more about this passage that I just read from your perspective. Um, well, let's start there. Well, okay, it was really such an honor when that happened because you know, we had problems uh, when we go down to, um, uh, I think Senator Chick Heck had a, a, a dread shop and we had problems in there and and Fanny's, you remember Fanny's? Oh, you were too young. Uh, <laughs> but um, but we had a lot of problems to, you know, going and trying on, on the clothes. And I remember there was a hot dog place right there on the corner of Fifth and Fremont. We could go in there and get the hot dog, but we had to eat it outside. Wow. So do you really realize what a culture shock this was coming from New York City, mm -hmm. where everything is so diverse? Mm -hmm. I didn't even realize it until it hit me in my face till I came to Vegas. So my husband just loved it. And he said, yeah, this is it. We're going to stay here. And when the show closed, and I think Governor, um, it was a, a Grant Sawyer. Yes. Yes. yes um, Grant Sawyer. Yes. Um, gave him this commission on the Equal Rights Committee. Yeah. And he did a good job of turning things around. And, and he was there when the bill was signed. To, because we didn't even get free housing in Las Vegas until 63. Yeah. So that was, that was just a crushing blow to me. So I was ready to go back to New York. But my husband said, this is it. He just loved the 24-hour town. And the casinos and then remember we knew all the entertainers from new york mm -hmm. and um so it was a good time during that period yeah absolutely we're gonna get to bob your husband okay. in, in just a second but i'm curious after i read this and i read about um this meeting happening this historic meeting to desegregate all strip casinos the meeting was a result of threats of protest yes. uh, in the 1960s i'm curious to know if you think that protest is as effective today as it was in the 1960s. Yes, but we just need a strong leader, people mm -hmm. that will really follow it through, not for grandeur or to, you know, for just for themselves, for their name, but really serious. In it. And that's the only thing I think seems the missing during that early parts of us being in Vegas. Other uh, people were really um, together and organized. Here, I think maybe with people can live all over town, we had to live on the West Side that time. Maybe that's why we were so together. Mm -hmm. But maybe with us, some living on Sahara, some living on other beautiful parts of this city, um, we're not as connected like we should be. Mm -hmm. But I still tell my grandkids that this is going to be a heck of a city. We just got here in the pioneer years just so early. Yes. But I can imagine how it's going to be with the new arenas coming and, and all the things that's coming here. I just hope I'll be hang, hanging around to see it. 
And I hope something great will go on that land on Bonanza where the Moulin Rouge site used to be. I hope the people that just bought it will do something with it to build up that area because I travel all over this town and that's the only area that's not built up. Mm -hmm. You know, no homes and there's so many homeless people. Mm -hmm. So that's why I have a little, I think our politicians could do a little bit better. I, I agree, absolutely. Yes. That was my observation driving through there today it. as well. I mean, this day and age, but something, you know, to look like that. And that's choice land. Mm -hmm. Five minutes from Fremont, mm -hmm. 10 or 15 minutes from the Strip. Yeah. I mean, it's centrally right in the center. And I just can't understand why they won't put any development there. It is. It was very encouraging to see Legacy Park, yeah. a brand new park in the west side. Yes. Um, really as serving as a monument to yes. the civil rights era and yes. to the desegregation efforts um, yes. that you and Bob were such a huge part of. Yes, Bob, he worked very, very hard. He really did. And once he got that commission on the Civil Rights Committee, he put mm -hmm. all this effort in it, Actually, all the time in it. That's a great segue to my next question. Okay. I want to talk about that. On the website for William H. Bob Bailey Middle School in Las Vegas, it says, quote, Tackling the ills of racial segregation in Nevada, Dr. Bailey stood as a leader for change, equal employment, and equal mm -hmm. access. He was appointed as Nevada's first chairman of the Equal Rights Commission by Governor Grant Sawyer to yeah. investigate discrimination practices in Nevada that denied African Americans and other minorities equal access and employment opportunities. Bailey's investigation, where he sometimes lived in a trailer outside strip hotels to, mm -hmm. in order, that's amazing in order to document acts of discrimination was the catalyst that led to the federal investigation that resulted in the enactment of the Equal Rights Act for Nevada. Dr. Bailey established the Nevada Economic Development Corporation that assisted minority businesses to obtain funding that exceeded $300 million. His successes resulted in his appointment by then President George H.W. Bush mm -hmm. as the first presidential appointee from Nevada to serve as the Associate Director of the Minority Business Development Agency. This is an incredible legacy. Wow. I would love to hear, Anna, from your perspective. Um, just tell us more about Bob and what you see as his legacy and impact. Well, he just believed in, 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 in business. And he built um, a couple of cocktail lounges, which was uh, uh, packed with all the entertainers that would come by. He used to own the Golden West Shopping Center. And, um, and, and, you know, he had a hard time collecting the rent a little bit, but um, he, he tried so many things and, and, and business was kind of hard. It, it was difficult, but um, I took care of the banking and the, and I had a manager took care of the, the ordering, but I would do, uh, um, I would do the checks, the business checks, the, the you know what I mean? I'm, I'm getting lost for words now. You're doing great. Now I'm doing okay. Yeah. So you, speaking of you running these businesses, yes. you were one of the first African-American women to hold a gaming license. Uh, tell us more about your experience as a businesswoman and how that felt for you. Well, I really enjoyed it because that was different from chauvinist, even though mm -hmm. chauvinist is a business, but it was different, but I learned a lot. Um, it taught me how to uh, really um, to get all the business and the, the taxes together and, and, and get it to the accounting and to, um, and, you know, to do all the things you have to keep it going, to do the hiring and, do, and putting in long hours. And all of my businesses were open 24 hours. So sometimes I had to open up 
and, and clothes. I would go and try to get some rest, and I did it for years. Wow. And then, um, then Bob would get another bright idea, and then we're off again. So we owned the Sugar Hill, the Baby Grand. I named them all up after New York, places in, 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 that I like to go in New York. That's great. And, um, and it was fun. And then, um, like I said, all the entertainers would go through town. That would be our their hangout spot. So uh, Billy Eckstein knew the piano player that we had from Chicago. So he would be in there every night. Sammy was in there every night. Just all the show people that was working on the strip will hang out in our clubs. Wow. Yeah, they really did. Especially the one that was on Sahara and Paradise. That's amazing. Yeah, so, so that was a good time. And I think that's why time went uh, by so quickly because everything we did was fun, even yeah. though it was hard work too. And nobody gave us anything. I mean, we really had to work for it. Absolutely. Bob had the brains and I had the, uh, I was good at uh, taking things out, you know, keeping it going. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes. That's incredible. Yes, it was a good experience. But there was a lot of good people in town here too that really helped us. Like Bob went on television, you know, he was on television for 12 years. That's right. So naturally all the celebrities were, were on there. And we had um, Willie Booth that had 7-Eleven limousine that would pick up our entertainers. We had another restaurant that would cater the food for us for the show. And um, we, we were, that was a good period during our time. I remember doing this, a show, we did it like a Soul Train type show, where we had, I would go around and put bulletins on all the, in all the schools and have all the kids come. And on Easter, they came all dressed up. So those are the memories that we had that maybe, um, I think some of the locals, the old timers re remember, they remember the Bob Bailey show. Did a rounded show that was like, came on like one o'clock and we would actually have wine. And like in, in like a living room scene or a nightclub scene, so it's a lot of we. I I think even though we were working hard, we made it fun. Mm -hmm. mm. It sounds like it was a lot of fun. Yeah, it was. It was it was a different area. That since then, same was sort of hostile of going on the trip. Where we made our own entertainment. Yeah, and we were really closer together that way too. That's powerful. And like I said, there was a lot of people that really helped help, uh, buying the ads and staying on. TV, you know, keeping us on there for that, not me, but Bob for that mm -hmm. length of time. That is incredible. Mm -hmm. I'm curious to know what traits were critical to your success and your ability to pivot from the closing of the Moulin Rouge to opening businesses and you continued to dance into your 40s. Yes, I was lucky. I was just lucky. You know, I was just, you know, I, I worked at the Dunes too. You know, I worked at the Dunes for two years. Yes. With the Clarence Robinson show. No, that was Larry Steele. I'm sorry. Okay. Larry Steele's Moulin Rouge was Clarence Robinson. Yeah. And then I, I think um, that people were used to seeing me. At, and so when I just called that I wanted to come into the um, the Flamingo, um, I just came in without an audition or anything. Because I worked there a lot with Pearl Bailey, yeah. which I might have left out. Yeah. Every time Pearl Bailey was at the Flamingo, I was with her. That's incredible. And then and on, on, and on the road also. And that's why I joined her show um, and Larry Steele's show, because it, it would take me back on the road again, you know, or else then it would work in Vegas where I live. So it was it was good for me both ways. Mm -hmm. So I, I just had a lot of luck, too. And, and when you hired me... Um, I would like I said I was always on time and 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 I would always do the best I could out there. And you have you have a lot of energy and a lot of resilience. Yes, even, yes. even at ninety five, I can. See I know. This. Well, I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> I yeah. might have slowed down now, but um, during that time, I did have a 
And you have to have a lot of stamina to do three shows. And remember, um, you know, girls of color, you have to work a little harder. Absolutely. You have to swing, you have to um, dance fast, the tempo so fast, you know? Yeah. And, you, and you've got to, but if you've got a good band, the band really kicks you too, where it doesn't seem like work. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Anna, give us a snapshot of an ordinary moment in your life that brings you great joy. Well, let me see. Oh, when Pearl Bailey gave me a little spot, I had a solo yeah. uh, at the Flamingo. And her brother was in the show, Bill Bailey, mm -hmm. and no relation to Bob. Okay. And um, and, um, and 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 I think um, I had a good routine that I sort of made up where I would spin around, jump up, go down, and then make another two turns. And then I repeat the step if the tempo going that fast. So um, I, she really spotlighted me and I made a little extra money too on that, you know? I was like a swing girl. That's a great memory. Yeah, I, I have a lot of memories. I feel so sad when I heard that Pearl died just from having a little, I know we might be getting off the point, but um, she just had a knee operation. Oh, wow. And I don't know how the doctor didn't realize that she had heart problems. Oh, that's because, very sad. Because, you know, she worked, she worked, she went to Washington for a while and worked. Wow. I know we're getting, Mike could be getting off her love. And, um, and she just loved, she would send me all kinds of pictures of her for the United States in front of her name in Washington. And I really felt bad. And a lot of people thought we were related, uh, her and Bob, mm -hmm. but there, there, were, there was no relation there. But she worked us all the time. It sounds like she was a great influence. Yeah, she really was. And, um, and I used to take the, um, at, at, at the, um, the, with the instant, uh, what I said, the, uh, Instable group. Yeah. I had to bring Johnny and Kim to rehearsal with me. Really? And they still remember that the, the chor choreographer lifting them up and everything. And yeah, Johnny. Because yeah, I was the only one that was married and, and had kids. I worked a long time at Joe, but I was blessed. Because, you know, really, by the time you're in your late 30s, early 40s, you're usually out of it. But so, um, I was lucky enough to stay in there because I think I, I stayed kind of slim, you know. Let's talk about Johnny and Kim. You're two amazing kids. Oh, yeah. Two quite successful, lovely human beings that you have raised. Yes. And now that you was the have... happiest time of my life when we were all under the roof. And they never gave me, they went right on through college. My son went right on through law school. No problem if I told them to be in by five o'clock. They were in. And um, right now, um, Kim is used to celebrities. Mm -hmm. because now she goes out and she interviews a lot of celebrities and she's very comfortable with it because she used to see them in the house. Yeah. Yeah, and some of Kim's friends remember the celebrities coming by. You know, some of her kids, her friends that she went to school with, they remember that our house was the one where all the celebrities would stop. But that's because we knew most of them from the East. Yeah. Fair. And um, we knew Nick Kelly from The Sands and Jack Rontrado from La Vie and Rose. That's why I worked with LaVie La and Rose in um, New York, mm -hmm. Jack Entrada. So we knew them. So we were going to the Sands and the kids were going with us for the supper shows. And um, and, and, and truthfully, um, people of color wasn't going into the Sands then, right. which was very sad. And, and um, But I was just, um, I was happy that I could do that because that made me enjoy Vegas a little bit better. If I could have done that, I think I would have bugged Bob to go back to New York. Yeah. And I often wonder what would our life have been if we had gone back to New York. But knowing Bob, no matter where we went, we would have done okay because we both were good workers. 
That that's absolutely that's really the truth. That's really what truth. I feel. Yes, uh, it is. Yeah. I'm blown away by your life and the stories and yeah. and the fact that you and Bob stayed in Las Vegas. I know maybe that wasn't your first choice, yes. but I, but I'm curious to hear more about how you feel at 95 years old. Um, like I said at the beginning of the show, being a living legend because you well, you had that this living legend stuff, you know. But it's true. But that is nice to hear it, you know. It is absolutely yeah. true. Um, your picture is up multiple places around this city. Yeah, I'm proud of you too. I'm so proud. You, I'm proud of you. What you're doing with your life. Thank you. And I have to say, I should I... be interviewing you. No, no, no. Def definitely not. I, um, I always think about how I grew up, and I yeah. think about you and Bob. Yeah. And I think that I'm standing on the shoulders of giants, and oh. I, uh, I'm so inspired by the social justice work that, yeah. that you two have spent your yeah, lives doing. A lot of time. Yes. Uh, I'm just trying to do it. You know. I know. A tenth of that, oh, right? Yeah. You, but you just had... because you're on your way, and you still got time in front of you. Yeah. See, and you got to make use of that time. That's why I try to tell them. Um, Pim's boys that uh, not to waste it because you look up you could be 40, 50, 60 years old yeah, yeah. And I don't know uh, 95 came quick actually this is a brilliant segue into the last okay, question right, and the last question is, is something that I ask everyone on this show okay. and that is if you could give one piece of advice to our listeners especially college students thinking yeah. about getting involved in the political arena and influencing social change what would that be what would that one piece of advice be um, to just be truthful, be steady, do the very best you can, work hard, because that's the only way you're going to succeed, do your homework, and uh, just stay focused, and with your eye on the prize, don't lose that, don't lose your eye off the prize, and just stay dedicated. You gave wonderful advice to our listeners, as I knew that you would, and oh, I'm grateful so. for all the advice that you've given me over yeah. the years, and Anna Bailey, first black showgirl in Las Vegas, businesswoman, dancer, living legend. Uh, it, it was an honor to speak with you today. Thank you so much for joining me on this My pleasure. Podcast. The Persist Podcast is hosted by me, Denise Davis, director of the UCR Women's Resource Center, and is produced by Rosa Castillo and the staff in the UCR Women's Resource Center. Check out our Instagram pages for links to more episodes at UCRWRC and at UCR Persist. If you'd like to sign up for our newsletter, please email us at wrc at ucr.edu. We hope that this podcast inspires you and those around you to get involved in the political arena because we know that who is at the table absolutely matters. Finally, if you have any ideas for who a future guest should be on the podcast, feel free to reach out and let us know.